0: And I started thinking about that a little bit and I I had to come to this realization, PJ, that um, my background and how the world views spirituality, they're not necessarily on the same page. And it's not something new. I should have known about this a long time ago. I wish I'd read the report like, you know, 15 years ago when it came out or something. And that would have really helped me understand my role as a chaplain and that the way we talk about spirituality as a culture, um, it has broader connotations than religion. It's basic human wellness to most people, even to people who don't even like the term spirituality. And that's been a a challenging journey and an exciting one for me.
1: Hello and welcome to Chasing Leviathan. I'm your host, PJ Weary, and I'm here today with Andy Leaf. Andy Leaf is the senior pastor at Cornerstone Community Church in Iron Mountain, Michigan. He volunteered in an orphanage in Honduras when he was 19, and he taught English in China. And uh, today we're going to be talking about how can spirituality help someone's health, specifically their mental health. But, you know, there's definitely that whole body Uh, connection. Uh, I think everyone understands that if you're struggling emotionally or mentally, you're going to have physical struggles as well. Um, Andy, awesome to have you on the show. Also should mention you're the best man in my wedding. Uh, We've been best friends for a long time. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your journey um, and why, one, you're interested in this topic, but uh, even uh, how you came to be a senior pastor.
0: Yes. Well, thank you for having me on the show, PJ. I live in a, a region where um, whatever modern trends are going on, we seem to get them a lot later than everybody else. And one thing I'm working on right now is transitioning from working in a small church to working with a um, home health hospice team. And mm. um, that's, that's challenging um, my views on reality and um, spiritual care and um, even what it means to just really live the good life in ways that um, had mm. never occurred to me before. Um, one of the things that um, I'm seeing with uh, with the training I'm going through right now is uh, people use a lot of terms and labels um, interchangeably without defining them very well. And um, that can really lead to a lot of embarrassment and uh, even extra pain when it comes to dealing with people and, and working through um, spirituality per se.
1: All right. Talk to me a little bit about some of those labels.
0: Yeah. So, um, just just the term spirituality itself i live in um the up of michigan so the upper peninsula and um in the county i live in is the most churched um county per capita of all of michigan in fact it's actually one of the most church counties um in the midwest even though it's only about 7000 people most of which are related and um highly tribalistic so when i was approached with this job to be a chaplain I made certain assumptions that pastoral care would be like chaplaincy care. And Hmm. I found out uh, nothing could be further from the truth.
1: What are some (laughs) of those key differences?
0: Um, The way that spiritual care would be defined as a pastor, especially like pastoral care. And I I work within a system of beliefs, Um, Orthodox, Protestant, Christianity. There's a framework to it. There are expectations. There are ways in which I can be... um, Uh, very effective, forceful, um, even judgmental um, that are fitting to that belief system. Um, But when it comes to um, spirituality within chaplaincy care, um, what I'm doing is I'm actually working to identify what the individual patient views as sacred. And um, in some cases, that is really tricky, just incredibly tricky. Hmm. Uh, When I approach people, I do this thing where... Um, I have like a split second to either empathize with them or not. And if I don't want to empathize with them, I don't have the energy. um, I try to find a fault. And as soon as I find that fault, the wall's up. I can look at them objectively, coldly, um, but I won't be able to empathize or um, even reach sympathy with them, if you will. And when somebody has a framework or or a, a view of life that (laughs) is not religious, um, doesn't suit my own. It's very hard to, um, empathize with them and work with them for me, at least with the background that I have. And I think Mm -hmm. that's kind of partially due to the area and culture I grew up in as well.
1: Uh, So talk to me a little bit. You grew up in Iron Mountain, right? That's Um, correct. You weren't, you weren't born there, right?
0: No, I moved there when I was about four years old.
1: Uh, and so, tell me a little bit more about the culture of Iron Mountain. Uh, you know, you mentioned the tribalistic side of it, um, uh, and tell me a little bit how that's shaped like your views on things like health and mental health.
0: Yeah. So, growing up in the uh, Upper Peninsula of Michigan, um, the UP as we call it, and being Ubers, uh, it's it's easy for people to assume that they can understand it. It's rural. It's Midwest um but there's all these other hidden factors that they haven't been well documented uh, but you can experience yeah. them very easily like just to travel from one side of the state to the other it takes about 10 to 11 hours and depending on the weather you can't even get from one half to the other half so people are isolated incredibly isolated so friendships relationships um your your social well-being all of that really depends on family units and the family mm. units um, don't do much together. They're fairly uh, independent. Um, and and they really don't forgive. Like if you have a friend that's a youper and you guys stop being friends, you'll never pick that friendship back up again. Uh, Interesting. Yes. That's just one of those uh, for sure things. And since the population is so tiny, like you pick one smaller to mid-sized city in lower Michigan and that's going to have you know, more people than the entire UP combined. So there aren't many people. Um, you go to the store, you, uh, you uh, go out and just go to a softball game, and there'll be like half the crowd not talking to the other half the crowd. And it's like, it's noticeably <laughs> awkward.
1: <laughs> yes. And that's a regular occurrence. That's, that's, regular, that's the way it normally is. That that, a,
0: that's like yeah. going to Walmart every day for me. People, pe- <laughs> people shutting me in line. Yeah. <laughs> and i'm and i'm fairly
1: friendly a, too yeah yeah whatever um so what are some of the what are some of the the causes for that where what it like i mean it, there's the isolation is there are there historical reasons for this Or um,
0: yeah you, you could blame um you could blame it on ethnic settling you know a lot of a lot of scandinavian groups moved to do mining back in the day um and from that you can find certain perspectives on on what it means to be a to live a good life and to be a good person. And that's you're self-sufficient and uh, you don't take things lying down. You have, you have guts per se.
1: <laughs> Interesting. And I, and cause I definitely, uh, I, when you talk about the mining, the mining has kind of died out, correct? It has. Yes. And so there's, uh, it's also been an economically depressed region and also there's really long winters, which are all factors for things like depression as well, right?
0: Yes, like there are parts of Scandinavia that are kind of, you know, as far north as we are. So it's good stuff. <laughs> Negative 40 why winters. they felt comfortable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I remember.
1: I, I remember because uh, uh, for our audience, uh, Becky Sue and I went to college up there. And I remember Becky Sue worked in the bakery and she'd go out at 4.30 in the morning and it would be negative 20 outside. Yes. Uh, Fahrenheit. And she would go and go into the outdoor freezer to get warm because the outdoor freezer was 32 or something like that. <laughs> I, people just don't understand. Like, I had never heard. I had never heard of uh, snow, it not being able to snow because it's too cold. Yes. Like that, like blew my mind or that the snow grips better when it gets too cold yes go ahead
0: it's one of those places where you can impress people from the south that where i am in the winter it's as cold celsius as it is fahrenheit yes yes. once you get to negative 40 it's the same it's just cold and everyone agrees it's just cold
2: (laughs) oh i was just talking
1: to somebody um who uh yeah I think I I was podcasting with someone from England and uh we started talking about Wisconsin winters and they're like oh I think it's the same at that point I've never encountered that before but it's the same yeah no that's <laughs> Oh man uh do you do you see anything um so I, as you I, I'm I'm curious where you want to go with this do you yes. want to talk more about uh the sy- systematic kind of um that the system that you're entering in as a chaplain, or would you rather talk about uh, the communities and how their mental health is formed?
0: Well, I think they kind of go together. Um, yeah. So this, this transition I'm excited about, um, education I'm going through, is happening because there has never been a hospice team in my county. Um, if, if all goes well...
1: Oh, not even a chaplain. So I thought it was just the chaplain. There's never been a team. A There's hospice never team been a home in- health
0: team. For a hospice care.
1: Really? Because okay, I did not when you die,
0: that. you die alone. It's, <laughs> it's just what it is, right? <laughs> so, so me being a youper. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh. But, <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Me being a youper and then um, trying to make this transition into healthcare. Um, it, yeah. It's showing me that there are so many um, uh, shortcomings and um, narrow ways of thinking that I wasn't aware mm. that I had. And that's, that's what I'm excited about. To be honest, PJ. Um, yeah. Like you, you know, this, um, most of my family is in healthcare. I have two brothers with their, um, bachelor's in nursing. My dad has a master's in nursing. Um, I was the only one in my family that didn't go into that. Yeah. So as I'm tiptoeing in very slowly and, and things are like, you know, short staffed, undermanned, going slowly in this process, um, all my family was like, yeah, do it, go, go. And, um, it's because I'm ignorant towards health care. Um, mm. th- to give you an example, my brother um, yeah. was working on um, his favorite department floor, which was the ED. Mm. And my first response, no joke, was I had no idea there was an entire floor dedicated to erectile dysfunction. <laughs> And he's like, he's like, no, Andy, that's, that's, that's the ER. It's been renamed the emergency department, not the emergency room. Like that's, that's how green I am going into this kind of stuff. Oh, man. And, and oh. some of it, some of it gets philosophical. Some of it um, yeah. is really just the expectations that certain words create in people. And then some of it goes back to religion. So I'm, I'm really excited about this topic to be honest.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, One of the things that you mentioned, you know, you have that initial moment when you first meet somebody of wanting to either empathize with them or put your walls up. Um, Obviously, you know, for your job as a chaplain, I would guess you want to empathize, right? Um, (laughs) That's the goal. How do you? Yes. How do you find common ground? um, And I'm I'm sure, like uh, you, uh, that's two. That's two different questions. How do you find common ground? Uh, with the sacred with somebody how do you what are some techniques you can use or what are ways of thinking that help you empathize with someone who's different than you?
0: Well, the first thing for me would be the um, recognizing that my goal is to identify what is sacred for this person. and that um that's a huge world that i am I am not qualified to speak on as professional. I am finding out that there are so many ways to see that because um the world's a lot more diverse than the UP in beliefs, in and cultural backgrounds, and in, in existential beliefs and values. So as I'm working through things with these people, I have to prepare myself that first of all, my job is to identify, and I'm and I'm charting that, I'm recording it, I'm sharing it with the hospice team. What these person what this person values, and then spiritual care from that point on is helping them maximize the relationship that they have with the sacred. For as long as that person has to help alleviate suffering, um, to bring them a, a, a greater sense of wholeness and also uh, hope. Hmm. Because if they're in hospice, it's because uh, the treatments they didn't take. They moved from palliative care over to hospice and um, we've got a job to do. And our, our the slogan I keep hearing is um, it's not about curing, it's about caring. And that sounds really... Um, easy to pick apart and make fun of um but the more they explain it the the better it sounds
1: it's not about is it hearing or healing
0: it's not about the curing it's about caring um (laughs) yes
1: i no that actually makes like i i man this has come up in numerous podcasts you know i just did one with uh dr richard kearney and uh his uh brother is a doctor and they uh one of the things that like uh, the, the episode I did with Dr. Kearney was on uh, physical touch and how important it was. And one of the things that has become an issue in Western medicine generally, um, and obviously we have it, is that the, we struggle when we can't cure. Yes. Right. Yes. Like wh- like that's something where we're not good at just abiding with somebody in pain. And there are different ways to alleviate that. And so um can you expand on that a little bit? What, as, you, as you've dealt with... Uh, and you're, you're still in the training side of this, correct? Correct. But how do they teach you to handle um, and deal with death? Um, yeah, you can take your time on yeah, that no, one. That's...
0: This, 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 is, this is one of those things where I have to admit, it's like, if I had known this before I started the training, maybe I would have backed mm. out. Um, yeah. One of the first things you want to work on is your own personal anxiety. Hmm. And, and that's crazy to think about. Um, but as somebody that does public speaking and performances, giving a good performance is often um, a high anxiety experience. It helps you prep and remember, um, helps with memory, delivery, all that stuff. But you bring that, that anxious persona into um, somebody who's in their last couple months of life, it's a recipe for disaster. So the first thing is you have to deal with your own anxiety before you can really help care for people. And the caring is identifying, recording, listening, um, not even necessarily correcting as much, and also mm-hmm. recognizing that you have limitations in your role as there are limitations to everything. Um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating that uh, people assume if they're getting a certain kind of care that it's um, going to do things that it's not. Um, like... Chaplains can do a lot of great things. They can be a great support, um, but they're part of a team that's really providing um, alleviation to pain and and dignity for people that treatment is no longer working for. And that's
3: the hospice care team.
0: So to yeah, answer your question, I, I'm just
3: go
1: ahead. Go ahead.
3: to answer your question. No, no, it's
0: ahead. different for different people. And yeah. like, like for me being a religious leader, the more that they're, um, existential beliefs the more what they view as a sacred has distinctions and marks that makes it more like a religion the easier it is for me to deal with but the further you get away from that and that's rare in these parts but there are some the when i come into people who have very um uh, eclectic views of reality of values um the harder it is to identify what they need and i have to admit that i'm limited that way and admit it from Mm. the get-go So they don't have expectations of me that are just don't fit with reality.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that way it's different from even maybe the rest of your team, because the rest of your team, like human bodies, for the most part, share some characteristics, whereas I think beliefs, like you can't be uh, entirely all things, all people. But something you said that just really struck me and I think is very important. And this is a challenge to me because I was just talking to uh my editor Joe and um I don't even remember how it came up um but I was like man I'm just feeling on edge today and he's like oh you're always on edge and I I was like yes. uh am I, am I I always seem like I'm about to like fly off and have a temper he's like oh no 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 like it, you're just always ready to go you're always you have so much you know I mean he didn't he just left it at that but I know what he's saying it. Like we talked a little bit more, just like I have so much energy and I'm always like, like pushing. That's, that's what I do. And just re- understanding that a weakness for my family um, and something, well, I, I shouldn't say it. My mom's actually quite good at it, but a weakness just for me and my dad <laughs> <laughs> is that we struggle with this idea of um, healing presence. Mm. And that's a ju- really, that's really huge. What you said, because I did not, I did not expect that answer at all. Um, and, it, but as soon as you said it, I was like, ah, that's a, that's a blind spot in my own life where I have to reduce my own personal anxiety because th- at this point, the psychic pain is one of the biggest things when someone's approaching the end and to come in and to bring in this aggressive aura, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm
2: like, yeah,
1: <laughs> I, it's just, it's, um, And that's a challenge. It's a challenge to live in that kind of peace. Do you find any um, resources in Christianity that allow you to establish common ground when it comes to things like peace and abiding?
0: Sure. I think. For me. Meditation has been a big thing. Mm. Um, Meditating on who I am and what I believe is um, really the good life. With, with people that, um, at least in the Midwest, when people uh, find out that they have some kind of serious illness, the first yeah. thing I almost always hear from them is, Well, I've had a good life. That's like the first hmm. statement. The second thing they say is, But I wish I could have seen my grandkids get married. I wish I could have gone to Argentina. They have these lists of regrets. And one of the things that meditation helps me with is, um, No matter what I do, my goal is that at the end of my life, I will look back and I won't want any other life than the one I've lived. That's the goal. Mm. And, and whatever it takes to get there, as far as um, you know, professional embarrassment, um, people not agreeing with me or caring for me as a person, not being important to the people I want to be important to, all of that just melts away. And, and people mm. really do want to talk about regrets when they're dying. It's amazing yeah. how often that comes up. So, emphasizing what the good life is and talking to people about what, what they actually mean by that, um, I think there's plenty you can find from Scripture, especially in Ecclesiastes about this. Hmm. You know, why didn't you um, le- learn to fear the Lord while you were still young enough to enjoy life? Now it's kind of too late. And I don't hmm. say that to them, but that's what I'm thinking right, through. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm applying it in ways that are respectful and nurturing to them.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 Is there um... And I, obviously you can't go into specifics. I'm not asking for that. The, uh, how does that kind of conversation go with somebody when, you're, when they're dealing with regrets?
0: Oh,
3: it's, it's, um, it's one of those things
0: where you have to acknowledge that many of these regrets are kind of too late. Yeah. And um, I don't have to say that. I really don't have to say that. But they know it. They know. They know it. I know it and yeah. um and at that moment, I can help them try to maximize what they value that is possible if they're looking for those kind of um uh solution type therapy conversations if they're not looking for that and they don't ask for it and it's not appropriate I mean, the best I can do is just listen to be honest and yeah. that, and that feels you no know, awful <laughs> there was this There's this nurse um from Australia who gave like a list of um top five regrets that her patients gave for like several decades. And they all came down to things that, um, to me feel like no brainers. Like men are always like, mm. I wish I hadn't worked as much as I did. And instead focused on my kids and my, and my companion. Um, you go down those lists. I, I wish I had maintained my friendships. They go down the list of these things. And in hospice, the best you can do sometimes is just listen. Because you can't fix mm. all those things, you know, that late in life sometimes.
1: Do you find, uh, so obviously abiding and listening are, are big parts of this. Are there any, is there any other practices that you generally find are helpful?
3: I think with, um, with what a hospice
0: team does, mm. explaining to people what they actually have um, really is helpful. Um, mm. But let me, let me explain, like, if you take the words yeah. like wholeness, holistic, and say, this is, what, this is what my team's called an interdisciplinary group. Certain words sound more enticing yeah. than others, right? Yeah. Right? Wholeness yeah. Yeah. sounds yeah. a lot better than interdisciplinary group. It sounds, sounds terrible. <laughs> it's not exciting. It doesn't, get, it doesn't fill you with hope. Um, but the people who like to use those certain words have weird expectations of what they're going to get. So like the moment somebody goes on palliative care, um, that's when they find out they have a serious illness and palliative care is a, is an orb of a bunch of different disciplines, um, professionals, people working together to help that person, Uh, social workers, doctors, um, pain management, um, all those things are are going together because people suffer in more than one way, but they don't know what they need sometimes. Right. Like, um, Like, take the wall down for a minute, engage your imagination, and imagine that in palliative care, they have people whose job is just to work with people to understand how the billing and the financial side works.
1: Right. Right, because you you don't want to add that psychic pain.
0: You don't. And and you just have to stop for a minute and think, um, I'm going to leave my wife and kids in a matter of months, most likely, if I don't beat this cancer. My wife screwed up the billing. I come home from treatment and I just unload everything on her in front of the kids. And that's how I'm spending mm. some of my my last months with my wife and kids. And you, you engage your imagination that way and you go, um, what we have in healthcare is fairly holistic, but we don't call it that because we don't want to give people the wrong expectation. It may or may not work. They might go from palliative care over to hospice. We may not be able to fix everything, but we are trying to treat people as um, as people and alleviate the pain yeah. as much as we can.
1: So if I'm tracking with you, like what you're saying by using interdisciplinary group, which doesn't sound as good as like wholeness or holistic. No. The, but if you say wholeness, it gives people the expectation that uh, they are going to be whole. Yes. And that's which you can't promise that.
0: No, you can't. And, and you shouldn't. <laughs> um, right. Like if you think of like a, like a pharmaceutical commercial, I remember being a kid and this commercial came on for this prescription um anti acid. And it's all these uh, big New Yorkers at a buffet. They're like, hey uncle, they're on the cannolis. And then one guy holds his stomach and it shows the animation of like the acid coming up. And then it shows the prescription drug, right? And then yeah. the music changes and there's like birds chirping and all these Italians are smiling at each other, and they're like, Hey, they got more cannolis on the line. And then and then the commercial ended. And I remember my dad going, you morons. And he yeah. lost it at this commercial. Yeah. And I was like, maybe eight or nine years old. I was like, what, what's going on? He's like, no. It's like, no, no. You just enabled these guys to kill themselves. A little acid yeah. would have been better.
2: Yeah.
1: And yeah, because you're masking the symptoms.
0: Yes. But, but the whole tone of the commercial was that you were whole and healthy when really um, you weren't. And that's a that's a scary place to be within healthcare. Um, hmm. I didn't know at the time that we're like one of two countries in the world that you know legalize those kind of commercials. They're illegal everywhere else to show prescription drugs on TV to the average consumer because people shouldn't be making that you know that kind of decision themselves. and then that leads to the whole spirituality and uh and therapy combination, which is just uh, incredible in my mind.
1: Yeah, talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. Um, so. Two reasons for it. One reason is that um, people want to combine spirituality with therapy is that it um, speeds up the process. Hmm. 12-step programs do it. Um, Medicare and Medicaid doesn't allow hospice teams to even function or receive any kind of money until they have a chaplain. Wow. And if you know anything about Medicare and Medicaid, um, they might not be the most... uh, Kindly generous groups in the world when it comes to paying, <laughs> but they won't pay a cent for people who are dying if there isn't a chaplain on the team. Interesting. Yes. And, and the reason for that, as far as you can tell, is that um, with suffering, there is this spiritual distress that comes in, PJ, when people are undergoing loss. And that spiritual distress makes it so that any kind of care they could have received usually isn't as effective
1: yeah yeah i mean that may, that just makes sense um do you see you know interesting that you're the first hospice team in Iron Mountain uh <laughs> when i say you i mean you all not like like andy is the entire team no yeah. um <laughs> but uh that you're part of this this first team um is there i I don't know enough about this to not make, you know, assumptions, but I know that as a whole, America seems to be overprescribed. Sure. Do you see this as an antidote? Do you, is that a problem? I mean, I, I think I know the answer, but I think you have more info on, <laughs> on America <laughs> being overprescribed, <laughs> right? Um, and how, how would this be the antidote to being over, overprescribed?
0: I think it all depends about how you present it and what your expectations are. Hmm. I, I I think in some cases, yes, we are. In some cases, you, you kind of go from the opposite extreme. Like I grew up in a home that we were self-described um, holistic people. We didn't take Vicodin. We didn't take um, even over-the-counter painkillers. Um, how that shaped my childhood, man, is a, a few years before you met me, um, we moved mm. to the area. My dad had some serious health issues with autoimmune disease. And he was treating it just by like whole health foods, things like that. And my parents were totally convinced that if they continued on that path. Um, he would get healthy. You've seen my dad. He's bigger than I am, much more powerfully built than I am. He got down to 135 pounds um, when mm. I was like 10 years old. Mm. Um, just, you know, not, not the weight you should be at six foot, you know, and a, and a powerful build. Yeah. Yeah. And the people who were in that camp just couldn't admit that in some cases you needed to pivot and try a different path.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: My my dad got on prescription prescription drugs at that point for the first time. And, uh, he's still alive today. Before that he was basically coughing up blood every morning and you see that kind of stuff and you want to go, I need a little humility here. You know, the, the holistic crowd, good, do your thing. Um, the people who need medication, maybe you need it. But the, yeah. but the crazy thing is, PJ, is this. My dad would never, ever describe himself as being whole. He would say there were side effects to the very powerful drugs that I took that allowed me to survive, but I have not an immune disease. I will never be whole because so far nobody can treat these. Nobody can cure them. You can alleviate the symptoms, live longer and accomplish the goals you have for living a good life, but you're not whole.
1: Do you find that a helpful uh, concept in what you do as a pastor and as a chaplain?
0: Can you repeat the question? The idea of,
1: hey, Is that <laughs> the idea of like, you, like people are... I mean, and I'm, I'm generalizing here, but the idea that people aren't whole, Yeah. right? Yeah, because I mean, so for instance, stupid, stupid example, nothing compared to an autoimmune disease. Okay. Yes. But I think everyone has something right, right. So uh, I clenched my teeth didn't realize what was happening. And I cracked my tooth. And I had it pulled the night before uh, my Soren, my four year old decided to come a week early. Thank you, Soren. And I, I got my tooth pulled the night before or the day before he came that night. And I was in the hospital with like gauze like up inside my, my cheek, you know, that tooth is gone. Like I'm not going to grow a new tooth. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, like it's not, um, and that, but I think I, so I'm when I talk about us not being whole, everyone has, has scars. Um, one of the things we have to deal with, you know, even as you were talking about, uh, and I, I would love to return to this, the idea of generational patterns, uh, in iron mountain, but just that like wholeness sounds better, but it can lead to um, destructive expectations. Yes. How, like you've mentioned a little bit for um, being a chaplain as a pastor. Do you see, uh, is that, has that been a useful concept as well?
0: It has been. Um,
3: a close friend of mine, uh, his wife had, uh,
0: still has, um, diabetes. They had their first kid, first son. He comes home from work, and his uh, his wife is uh, passed out on the kitchen floor, and their newborn is underneath her, and she is, she is mother smothered the newborn. He Doesn't go to my church, but at the funeral, um, they do like a a line where everybody goes up, and like basically shakes their hand, almost like a almost like a wedding procession, but for funerals. This is for a newborn. And nobody knows what to say. The minister isn't there. So the first guy just says the first thing that comes to his mind. You know, God must have needed an angel. And I kid you not, everybody behind that person in the line heard what the person in front of them said and repeated the exact same thing. And those were their their answers, PJ. So when you, when you, when you try to give answers to things like as a chaplain, when I'm dealing with somebody who has regrets that I cannot fix, nobody can fix. I can listen, but I don't want to do more, more harm than good. And and that connection between pastoring and and, and chaplaincy has really stood out. You don't want to give Mm. people fake answers. Um, And also getting into the chaplaincy side. Seeing how spirituality can be seen more as a, um, a basic human need rather than something that fits into my religious system, that's been challenging as well. Hmm. Really, really, yeah. it has been. Um, yeah. S- somebody gave me this, um, it's like this 90 page report that the Vatican put out when I would have been in like junior high. And I found this really interesting. They gave it to me because of um, spirituality being used in ways that uh, I, had a Christian, had never heard. And It was put out by their council for interreligious dialogue. I'm going through this, I promise. But basically, no, no,
1: that's great.
0: Basically, they, they took um, therapeutic techniques like the enneagram and stuff like that, evaluated them in light of being good Catholics, and and gave evaluations to them. And and they called it um, the Church's view on like New Age. You can find it online. It's it's hmm. lovely ninety page article um, report and. One of the things they said is that sometimes when you try to combine spirituality with therapy, it just gets really ambiguous from their
2: perspective Mm.
0: of what they're trying to do as a church. And then they said, um, and I found this odd, the person that we blame for this viewpoint, PJ, would be um, a guy named Carl Jung. And then the report ended. It's the only person they named as, as this, as the reason that, you know, people in the West were starting to see spirituality as a basic human need, where before they never did. And it's, it's a fascinating read. And I'm like, go ahead.
1: Wait, is, is, that, is that a negative thing that he did that? How much did they talk about him? Did they just like say his name and they're like, and it's his fault. Yeah. The end. And, and
0: they kept going. Like, like, like in um, worldviews like that of Carl Jung, it's like the only person they named. Everything else was like you know, <laughs> hippie practices, the enneagram. Nobody got fingered but him. And I started thinking about that a little bit, and I, and I had to come to this realization, PJ, that um, my background and how the world views spirituality—they're not necessarily on the same page. And it's not something new. Yeah. I should have known about this a long time ago. I wish I'd read the report like, you know, 15 years ago when it came out or something. And it would have really helped me understand my role as a chaplain. And that the way mm-hmm. we talk about spirituality as a culture, um, it has broader connotations than religion. It's basic human wellness to most people, even to people who don't even like the term spirituality. And that's been a a challenging journey and an exciting one for me.
1: Uh, How would you define spirituality outside of religion? What makes it spiritual rather than just mental per se, like mental health?
0: Sure. I think um, the side that makes it spiritual is it's really about what you value, um, your goals in life. It's, It's something people have, even if they haven't really tried to put it into words. So when I'm with those people who are not religious, who are you know describe themselves as 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 a nun per se, they get that chance to think about what it is that they view as sacred and spiritual, and sometimes they give things like you know the reason or the or universe or or math or music or something something like I'm just like okay I gotta stop myself from judging them and finding fault and just listen. <laughs> And it's yeah. so hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. Because that's not yeah. that's not who I am. But I'm but, yeah. I'm but I'm learning to work in different ways with different people. And it is it's so yeah. it's so rewarding. I mean it.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, that's really cool. Uh so just uh I'll say for our audience, but I think I know what you're talking about. When you say none, is that like the box they check? Yeah, I'm not religious.
0: Or it's yeah. it's amazing that Medicare, Medicaid talks a lot about the spiritual but not religious people like they have articles you find online one after another about that and it feels like they're behind the times in some ways but they make a really big deal out of that people who prescribe to spirituality but not religion
2: mm. and
0: as a religious leader I just want to mock the fire out of them and I got to hold <laughs> myself back and go okay but you're looking at it like this and I can maybe imagine with my imagination a little bit what you mean
1: yeah yeah um oh man i so as you're dealing with somebody in hospice Mm -hmm. what is your responsibility to their family you
3: know it it can
0: depend if if there's a family Mm -hmm. member that they have regrets with if if they make some kind of request about certain family members or if they have certain cultural or religious backgrounds that maybe i can't interact with some of them Um, it it all depends, but I want to be sensitive and I, I want to alleviate pain.
2: Yeah.
1: Are you allowed to give advice that would help alleviate pain? Like may you know, maybe you should try calling that family member if they're like scared to do it. Is that something that you can not necessarily intervene with, but you can advise on?
0: It can be, especially when we're trying to do that kind of talk therapy where they do want solutions. And sometimes it's hard to tell people who are who are at the end of life. Sometimes they just want to reminisce and you can't really
2: tell. Right.
1: right. I was about to say, I could see where so there's just a lot of judgment and uh, wisdom and discernment involved where you're like, is this something where I push them to uh, like to solve this? Or is this something where I'm just here to abide and to listen?
0: Yeah. And with the, with the um, interdisciplinary group I'm part of, we have weekly meetings about that where I'm like, "I, I think, I think they need this or I think they're feeling this way. And everybody in the table can hear it. That's not just kept yes. to myself.
1: Right, 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 right. Which is helpful. And, <laughs> and you get feed. Yeah, you get feedback. Uh, that's really interesting. I'm assuming you get feedback, right? Yes. Like that's like yes. people. Yes,
0: I'm non-threatening.
1: <laughs> um. So, do you see? Uh, as you get to see that last stage of life um, and you know I know you're just starting on this journey um, are there habits or do you see patterns of generational cycles uh, uh, something unique ab- that comes from that
0: yes um again it's it's more a regional cultural thing, but you see people that haven't talked to their kids in twenty five years you you see people who are Um, entrenched in their um, certain religious views that are peculiar even to our region and it it gets me thinking that um, if I understand the question correctly it gets me thinking about how I'm going to evaluate what the good life is I get back to that I I should be important to anybody I have have a relationship with If, if I'm not important to them it's probably my fault And I'm going to regret that. Hmm. And I start thinking about things like that. Sometimes I even save them and use them in pastoral settings, you know, like in church. Um, But a lot of it, I just apply personally because, you know, there's privacy acts. I can't just, you know, go share. So-and-so really regretted this terrible thing they did in their youth. It's like, no, I can't can't share that. I'll get in trouble. Right, right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, these are... This is a, this is its own sacred space, right? Yes. Like the the deathbed is its own. Um, and I think that rightfully so. Yes. Um, is there any? As you look at your uh, own uh, kids, is there, are there any lessons that you take away?
3: Oh. <laughs> Suffering really does stick out in the memory.
2: Mm.
0: It really does. Um, Negative pain, all those things that they really do stick out in memory, even even of young kids. And my kids are young right now; Um, they don't understand everything. They're four and two. But the reality is, there are things that my daughter remembers very clearly from a year or two years ago because they were painful. And I don't want to add to that in ways that are unnecessary.
2: Hmm. Yeah.
0: Oof. And the uh, I go ahead. And also, she remembers when I am not emotionally present. Because it causes her some form of pain, she can remember that from a year ago. Daddy, you were on your phone that night. It's incredible, and I, I take that to heart um, quite a bit now.
1: Oh man, I, I run most of my business from my phone while watching my kids. It's uh, the...
0: yes, I. <laughs> you need, yeah, you, no, need to pl- you need to plug the production side of the show more, man. <laughs> you really, you really do. Like, um, like last month was a. Uh, was home health and hospice month. And we had planned this oh. show for them. And then you, yeah, and then you, you rescheduled go. on me. And, and, and then you rescheduled on my, my parents' anniversary. And, uh, you know. It's today your parents' anniversary? It is. It is. And they're not, they're, not, they're not together anymore, for those of you who are watching. And for those who are watching, you gotta understand this about PJ. There's this, there's this Machiavellian cold shite that he lives in. Where like, it's this just, just world of 40 chess Where he wants to talk about suffering and therapy And he does this to oh. his friend Of like, you know, almost 20 years <laughs> And just takes all his thunder So, I, um, you know I think you gotta plug that more, man Let people know that you're really, you're really about that quality content
2: Oh man oh.
0: <laughs> You're welcome
2: <laughs> Oh my gosh, dude
1: Oh, no, I I know it's a heavy topic and I appreciate you sharing. Um, <laughs> sorry I didn't know it was your parents' anniversary. Um,
0: you know, it's, it's more than one way to suffer, man. So you know we're proving that. Yeah.
1: No, 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 it's true. Um yeah, and I just um I appreciate the the honesty and even like what that does uh for myself. That um that comment about uh, about your, your kids and what I see with my own kids and how they can tell when I'm not present, whether it's on the phone, like it's, it's funny, like you can tell when someone's not emotionally present without the phone. You know what I mean? Like sometimes people are just off in space and they're not They're They've allowed themselves to get sapped. And I think one of the biggest takeaways I take away from all this is what you said at the beginning. I think it was really powerful is, um, that we have to work on our own presence before we can be a healing presence for others. Especially from this more, um, uh, and a lot of this going back to the the episode with Dr. Kearney. Um, but just, uh, we don't do well with things we can't solve, but there are lots of things in our lives that we can't solve and just learning to live with that. Um, what is, uh, I'd like to end on something a little more practical if you don't mind. Sure. What, uh, so as we kind of wrap up here and, you know, um, what does meditation look like for you?
0: And and again, this isn't going to be practical to most people because, um, I'm I'm a religious leader and this falls within a, um, a religious system per se. Um, but I, I really focus as a, as a religious person to do apathetic meditation. And that's where you focus on negative statements that are true, not to know everything about everything, but to know what's a lie. So that your life is more truthful in how you live in your, in your habitus and in the goals that you set. So every day I get up and I say things like, um, God does not make junk. God does not make mistakes and um, God doesn't change his plans for you and for who you're supposed to be. And I make those negative Mm. statements and I meditate on them throughout the week or throughout the day. And there's so many of them I can make, but they always have to be negative statements.
1: Do you mind saying why?
0: Um, Because the goal isn't to be uh, right about everything. The goal is to be truthful. Mm. And I, I, I don't know anything about the absolute truth or all truth or exactly what truth is, but I know what it means to be truthful. And I know meditating on being truthful um, gives me um, so much more for my relationships, for my family, um, for who I am as a person. And it, I think it makes the good life possible where I look back and I yeah. don't, I don't want any other life than the one I've lived. Not because I had all the answers but because um, I had integrity.
1: powerful powerful statement thank you for ending with that um it'll be great for my my uh production side of things The the quality content that i <laughs> <laughs> oh if you can't tell andy and i are best friends and he loves uh we've always had this relationship and i've always loved it it's just um uh it's it, you have been a, a precious friend for years and um a real uh both uh thorn in my side and joy and so (laughs) thanks i think i I just yeah but can i just (laughs) say seriously thank you for coming on and talking about something that's obviously near and personal and something that you're working through yourself um and your uh just your honesty i really appreciate it thank you
0: thank you man